today. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 to 3. It says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? I would underline the word expecting. Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, if you're not familiar with the story of John the Baptist, this is a very huge question. This is a very huge statement. This, this, is, this is like big time stuff if you understand who John the Baptist is. You see, John the Baptist had many prophecies in the Old Testament saying that he was going to come before Jesus was going to come. I'll read a couple of them to you. It says this. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. That was talking about John the Baptist. Malachi 3.1 says, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord your God is seeking, the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you look so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was going to come before Jesus was going to come because John was going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Those two verses come out of the Old Testament, and there was a big, vast period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the prophet said there's coming a guy who's going to make a way for Jesus' coming. That's what John's life was all about. John's number one purpose for living was to prepare a way for Jesus' coming. Which says a lot. Because John wasn't an ordinary guy. You see, John even had a strange birth. His mom and dad were old. His mama was barren. His daddy was a high priest. His mama came from the high priestly line of Aaron. John was born into a family of priests. John's daddy was praying one day and an angel appeared to him and said, your, your, your wife's going to have a son. And he kind of didn't believe and, and the angel shut his mouth up. He couldn't talk for a while, but first he gave him some instructions. And sure enough, when he got back home and him, him and Elizabeth spent a little time together, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? They, they got pregnant. <clears throat> Skip all the details. Elizabeth gets pregnant. She's barren. She's old. It ain't supposed to happen. She gets pregnant. Meanwhile, Mary gets a visitation from an angel who says, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Shia. <laughs> and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who's barren, is pregnant. Now watch this. Mary leaves to go visit Elizabeth. And the Bible says, that when Mary walked in the room, John leapt in his mother's womb. And then it says that Elizabeth was filled with joy. You see, it wasn't just John jumping. It was Elizabeth felt something that was going on too. Even at six months old, John in his mother's womb at six months developing, discovers or realizes and recognizes that Jesus just walked into the room and he had to jump. Now, I've never had a baby in my stomach that moved around. I don't know what that feels like, but I imagine it's pretty incredible. 
So even as an infant, not even taking his first breath yet, John recognizes Jesus is in the room. You see, John and Jesus are cousins. They're approximately six months apart in age. Elizabeth was six months when Mary walked in and John leaped. And so they get older. The Bible doesn't tell us how often they visited. Doesn't tell us if they went to family reunions, if they grew up together, if they got in trouble together. They didn't tell us what Jesus and John did. I don't know. I can't tell you that they spent a lot of time together. But I do know this much from what the Bible does give us right now. John already recognizes Jesus when he's in the room. John grows up. Jesus grows up. John's six months older. John's a rough character, though. Bible says he wears burlap. I don't know if you ever wore only burlap. Those curtains are made out of burlap. It ain't silky smooth. John wore burlap, y'all. And he lived in the wilderness. And the Bible says that he ate locust and wild honey. Anybody ever try locust? Come on, not even as a kid. You can admit it in church. Everybody's crazy in church. Anybody ever ate a locust? No? Blake, you, Huh? Okay, try one of the dried ones, like the pork skins. It's like a, a locust skin, you know, that you catch the... He's eating, he's eating locust and wild honey. He's living in the wilderness. He's dressed in burlap, and he calls people names. John's a name caller. He's rough. You ever met somebody living in the country, come to town once a year and talk to them? They rough. My family back home, they rough. They don't see you for two years. The first thing they say, man, you fat. I'm like, you ugly. I mean, whatever. You didn't get no prettier. John was just rough. He was just rough on all the edges. He was abrasive. The Bible says that he would call people's names. His message was repent or die. (laughs) Repent and be baptized so you can wash your sins off. Come on. Who wants to show up for a church service like that? John standing in the water, baptizing people, religious people would show up. He'd call them snakes. You're a bunch of snakes. Who told y'all to come out here? If John had a church, the front sign would say, turn or burn. Join us at eight o'clock. <laughs> that would be his church sign. He would, he would say things like, you better get right or you're going to get left. <laughs> right? John was just rough. Everywhere, everything he did was rough. His message was rough. It was, but you see, you got to understand something. When you're the type of person that, that goes to make a way for something, you got to be a little rough. Pansies don't make good pioneers. All the men should have said, Amen. I'm mean, like, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you're wondering if you're a pansy. I'm going, Am I a pansy? If you're going to pioneer something, if you're going to go and knock down the bushes and make a new path, you got to be a little gritty, right? This was God's choice. God chose John. God created John in his mother's womb. So you know what that tells me? That encourages me for all of us rough people. God made me this way. Y'all just got to deal with it. 
Okay, there's only two of us rough in this building, but that's all right. I'm encouraged. He was God's man to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. His message was repent and be baptized. He called people names. He wasn't dressed very pretty. That's who John was. John was a vital part of history. John was there every day, after day, after day, baptizing people for the repentance of sins. You see, it's an amazing thing when you discover what God created you for, and then you just start doing it. And then you get so in love with it, you'll do it day after day after day after day, and you won't even complain. All you know, repent, be baptized. The kingdom's coming, repent, be baptized. The kingdom's coming. John knew what he was here for, and he did his job. He did what he was called to do. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. But he wasn't a very likable person. John had a perspective of things. You see, a lot of times, how you are is how you expect other people to be also. Anybody agree with that statement? I know for me, I'm, I'm rough guy. I'm, you, you know the polished me. This is like polished. You're like, dang. I mean, it's polished. Yeah, you don't want to see the other one. But I always thought that everybody had to be like me. And I put expectations on them to be like me, to do like me, to act like me, to speak like me, to respond like me. Because I thought me was okay. Come on. (laughs) I wasn't mad at myself. But John had a perspective of Jesus. And I want you to hear his perspective in Matthew chapter 11 in verse, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. Listen, I want you to listen carefully how John describes Jesus. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. Man, there's a big lesson right there. Let me, let me, let me stop and grab that real quick. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. You see, you can't, you don't have to be perfect to honor people. You don't have to be perfect to, to put people in their rightful place. John is down there. He's, he's wanting everybody to be like him. He's rough. He's tough. He's preaching. But he, even in the middle of all that, he's saying that there's one coming who's greater than me. You see, I can work with somebody who understands that there's somebody greater than them that's coming. It's hard to work with somebody who's rough and arrogant at the same time, rough and full of pride at the same time, right? But if you got somebody that their heart's humbled enough to say that there's one greater coming than me, we can work with that. Amen? The problem becomes when you think you're the great one. He says this. (laughs) He will baptize you. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now let's look at this from a non-believer perspective. 
like somebody who doesn't know Christ, like somebody who's not a Christian, somebody standing in the river wearing burlap, got a little locust crumb on his chin, and he's hollering at you saying, there's one coming who's going to baptize you with this Holy Spirit and with fire. Who's signing up? I ain't signing up. I don't want no spirit and I don't want no fire. Right? But this is John's description with Holy Spirit and fire. Then he says this. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with ever with never ending fire. I'm like, I don't want nothing to do with this dude. He got a spirit. He got fire. He got a fork and he got never ending fire. I'm good. I don't know about y'all. I don't hang out with people like that. You're not poking me with no fork. I'm not hanging out with some dude with a pitchfork. And a never-ending fire. But listen to John's description. He's coming. He will clean up the threshing floor. I'm sorry, let me back up. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. A pitchfork. Listen to his perspective of what Jesus was going to do. And how he was going to do it. He's coming. Listen, let me break it down for you real simple. John was basically saying, listen, Jesus is coming. He's a great man. I ain't even worthy to carry his sandals. But his brother's bringing a spirit. He's bringing a fire. He's bringing a fork. And he's about to clean this joint up. And none of y'all that don't want to get right, you about to get left. And he's going to clean this up. So all you no good suckers, y'all about to go. Y'all going to burn. Is that plain enough? He said, Jesus is about to, he about to wreck stuff around here. That's what he's basically saying. That's his perspective of who Jesus is. Now, I want you to understand something very clearly. John's not necessarily wrong. It's just his perspective is unclear. There's there's a day coming when the chaff's going to be separated from the wheat. There's going to be a never-ending fire, and some people are going to be there. Don't get that part wrong. John wasn't wrong. He just wasn't clear. You see it? Because you can have a perspective and it can be right, but it can't be clear at the same time. Also, it can be right and unclear at the same time. Dude's bringing a fork. He's bringing a fire. You see, we all see life through our own lenses that are shaped Predominantly by our own life experiences. It's sad, but a lot of times what's done to you shapes how you see things. But I want you to know something today that God knows that about you. And he's okay. And he's already working with you on that. You remember last week's message? If you didn't listen to it, you'll catch it when you listen to it this week. But we talked about how God wants to change your mind. Listen, your mind's not right yet. Look at me. (laughs) Look at me. Say to your neighbor to the left of you, your mind's not right. Some of you have been wanting to say that for years. Some teenagers are looking at their parents going, your mind ain't right. (laughs) Now look at the person to the right of you and say, yours ain't right either. (laughs)
God knows that we don't see clearly like we should, but I believe that God uses disappointment to help us see things better. You see, John's perspective led to his expectations. However you see things tends to determine how you expect things to happen. If you're a rough person, then you expect things to happen roughly. (laughs) Right? I I get weirded out by people that would come up to me and they were soft. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's like, pansy? I ain't going to say what I want to say. But it... Your perspective determines your expectations. So let's talk about John's expectations. You see, John was not a normal prophet. He was very abrasive to say the least. His ministry style was in your face. You either go or you die. Now, people have told me I'm rough. They told me I'm in, they tell me I'm in, you're, Pastor, you're just a little too aggressive. I get that, but I ain't as aggressive as John. And I'm standing on it. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> I'm believing it. John expected Jesus to minister how John ministered. That's why his description was he's coming with fire. He's coming with fork. He's going to clean this joint up. You can hear it. You can hear it in his description. You see, here's the problem. When we have narrow perspectives, we have narrow expectations. And when we have narrow expectations, we set ourselves up for broad disappointments. Narrow perspective. I see things only through the lens of my life experiences. I don't open my mind to anything else. And therefore it determines. And now I have narrow expectations. Which set me up for broad disappointments. Now watch this. We got it backwards. We put broad expectations on people. And narrow expectations on God. People will let you down. God will never let you down. We need to flip that. You need to quit putting so many expectations on people and start putting broad expectations on God. You need to stop thinking God can only do this in this box and start thinking his box is bigger than my imagination. Amen. He can do impossibly more than I can even think. He can do more. John couldn't even imagine that Jesus would do things differently than him. I did it this way. Jesus is going to do it this way. You know, it's just like God, and he showed me this over 44 years. It's just like God that every time I expect him to show up from the left, he shows up from the right. Every time I expect him to be late, he's early. Every time I desperately need him to be early, he's late. I think he's trying to tell me something. He's God and I'm not. Right? I think a lot of times we have a hard time with God because we can't control him. I think also a lot of times while we seek out these other false gods, it's because we can control them other false gods, but we can't control God. Come on, if you got a, if you got a false god like, like let's, I'll just throw something out, like fishing. Don't leave the church. That church don't fish. I mean, like, like fishing has become your God. The thing, the thing that you love so much about fishing is you can control it. The thing you're disappointed with about God is you can't control him. So sure, I want to go play with something I can control, not with something I can't control. Why? Because I'm a control freak. And you are too. 
John's perspective led to his expectations. His ministry style was different. He had narrow perspective and narrow expectations, and he set himself up for a broad disappointment. Your expectations are a setup. They're a setup. Your narrow expectations limit your ability to see God. I'm going to say that one more time. Your narrow expectations limit your ability to see God move. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that he's moving bigger than you're looking. He's moving in places that you're not even thinking he can move in. You see, the reality is, is God's not sleeping. God is moving. He's moving all around us. But if you've got narrow perspective and narrow expectations, you don't get to see it. Broad expectations create space for God to move in greater ways. So my encouragement to you is don't let your expectations limit what God can do in your life. Let's talk about John's disappointment. John's sitting in prison, the Bible says. He's in prison not because he did something wrong. He didn't go to prison for tax evasion, domestic abuse, selling drugs, none of that. John went to prison because he didn't agree with the king. The king wanted to do something that wasn't right, and John didn't agree with him and got thrown in prison. John's in prison, and now he's in doubt. I wonder if the name of the prison was Doubt. John's sitting in prison doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to go, hello, you're John, he's Jesus, you jumped in your mama's womb, he's your cousin, your life's work has been about him, but John's doubting, and his doubt came from his disappointment. John sends his disciples to go Ask Jesus if if he's the Messiah, and this is Jesus' response. Jesus tells, tells them to go back to John and tell him what you heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he also added to it, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So Jesus' response to John's question, think about how Jesus felt. John the Baptist, his own cousin, is questioning whether or not he's the Messiah. You know why people couldn't accept Jesus as the Messiah? Because he didn't look like what they expected. He didn't act like what they expected. He went to a tax collector's house. Oh. Listen to Jesus. Think about how he felt. Is John even questioning me now? I'll tell you what you do. You go home, you go back to the prison called doubt, and you tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. The lame can walk. The lepers are cleansed. And by the way, the dead are raising up from the grave. And the good news is being preached all over the place. You go tell him what you heard and what you saw. And then he says this at the end of it. He says, and by the way, tell him that God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Whole different message right there in that sentence. John thought Jesus was coming to clean house. He thought Jesus was bringing the fork in the fire. Going to burn some stuff up. 
The reports keep coming back to John that Jesus is doing, he's healing the blind, he's healing the the lame, he's healing the deaf, he's causing the dead to rise. What? What's he doing? What's he doing all that for? He should be bringing the fork in the fire. Why is he being nice to these people? Bring the heat, Jesus. Where's the fork? It's supposed to be like this, not like that. He's supposed to be bringing judgment, not grace. Bob Betty really got under his skin when he heard that Jesus walked up on the prostitute who was getting ready to be stoned. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet John had a conniption fit. Jesus, because that's the very same person John was going, you need to repent and be baptized or you're going to burn in hell. Jesus stands in front of her and gives her grace. That don't look like a fork. It don't look like fire. What are you doing, Jesus? How are you forgiving those people? Bring the heat. You know, I wish it wouldn't have taken me 44 years to realize how, how gracious and, and merciful God is. I wish I'd have learned it at 19. My life would have been drastically different. Are you hearing me? I wish I'd have learned what I know now back when I was 18 or 19 years old and I'd have had a greater revelation of who God is. I would have went through this life totally different. Knowing that he's not the God of the fork or the fire, but he's a God who's full of grace and mercy. And that when I wake up in the morning, he's already put mercy on the side of the bed for me. He's already extended grace to me. He knows I'm going to fall. He knows I'm going to fail. He knows I'm going to be stupid at times, but he's already put grace there for me. I grew up in a fork and fire church. I got saved and they put us in front of the church and all the, the people come walking up to the front. And I'm standing there 12 years old, just gave my life to Jesus, got this brand new experience with Jesus. And this lady walks up and she goes, you know, you can't look at them dirty magazines no more. You know, what went through my mind. Number one, how'd you know? Number two, is that all you got to say to me? Is that all you can say to me is don't do evil no more? What about congratulations for being born again? What about welcoming to the family of God? What about I'm not going to point your sin out, but I'm going to expect God to do something in you. Amen? That's the church I grew up in. But God rescued me. Anybody ever went to that church? John's disappointed. You see, here's the problem. When we don't get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, we're in the perfect position for disappointment, right? Come on, we set ourselves up for disappointment. Disappointment can do two things in your life. You might want to write these down. Number one, God can use it to build your faith and broaden your perspective. 
God will take disappointment that is absolutely coming your way. And if you will allow him, he will take that disappointment and he will broaden your perspective on who he is. When something happens to you, if you'll trust God, he'll show up in a way you've never seen him show up before. If you'll open your eyes enough and wide enough, you'll see him move in a mighty way in your disappointment. God will use the disappointment in your life to broaden your perspective of who he is. In other words, he will build your faith through your disappointment. It's a crying shame that we were taught that when we get disappointed, it's an evil and bad thing. The second thing that disappointment can do in your life is Satan can use it to diminish your faith and to plant a seed of doubt. You got to get this. He's not trying to make you a doubter the first time. He just wants to plant a seed of doubt. He wants you to go from thinking God is the God of the impossible to, well, maybe he's not the God of all the impossible. Just a seed of doubt. Just a seed of doubt. He uses that between us. Come on, between married couples. Just a little seed of doubt. Come on, you know when your spouse does that thing that you don't trust them with and it it looks like what it used to look like and there's still a seed of doubt right there. You'll start getting suspicious. That's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. You'll get suspicious. Just sit there like this. I know who I'm talking to. You'll get suspicious and you get paranoid with just a seed of doubt. He wants to take your disappointment and plant a seed of doubt that'll start to grow in your life. And one day you'll go from saying, well, maybe God's not the God of all the impossible to God don't even love me. Are you even the Messiah? Are you even real Jesus? You see how it works? Here's the truth though. We get to choose what disappointment does in our life. I'm going to say that one more time. We get to choose what disappointment does in my life. I get to determine what it does in my life. I don't have to let it determine what it does in my life. I get to choose what disappointment does in my life. When it comes, I get to determine what it does. I can either bring it up or I can let it bring me down. Well, I can do one or the other, but I get to make the choice. And here's the reality. If I choose not to deal with it, it's bringing me down. Because disappointment not dealt with leads to doubt. Every time. It has a plan and a mission for your life. I get to choose what it does. I want you to hear this this morning. You don't, let, you don't have to let doubt, I mean, disappointment bring you to doubt. It doesn't have to go to doubt. It doesn't have to bring you down. Disappointment is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to see God move in a bigger way. <laughs> it, you don't have to bring you down. You can let it bring you up. When it comes, you stand and you go, you know what? God loves me. You stand on the truth that you know. God loves me. God is for me and not against me. I've been adopted into his family. I don't like what I'm feeling right now, but I'm going to trust that he's for me. And I'm going to keep watching till I see what he's going to do around me and then in me. That's how you overcome doubt. 
That's how you don't let disappointment take you down to doubt. You stand there. You stand on truth. Amen? When it's not given a direction, it usually directs us towards doubt. Let's talk about John's doubt. <clears throat> Key verse for the message, Matthew eleven two to 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. He heard about what Jesus was doing, and it wasn't what he wanted to hear. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? John had a cloudy expectation of Jesus. His expectation was shaped by his perspective. He didn't see clearly. You see, every one of us has to take responsibility for our expectations. Shake your head, yes. You have to take responsibility for your expectations. I'm not responsible for your expectations. Nobody else in the room is responsible for your expectations. They are your expectations, and they're your responsibility. That's just like them kids that go to Walmart, throw themselves all over the floor, tear the shelves down. That's their mama's responsibility. Everything inside of me wants to whoop them up into shape in five minutes, but I can't do that legally. So I got to stand back and let them deal with their own expectations because they're not mine and theirs. If you don't manage and, and become responsible for your expectations, they will be just like the kid at Walmart that's throwing himself all over the floor. And they can be in an embarrassment. How could John doubt that Jesus was the Messiah? I mean, he's standing... He, he sees Jesus coming down. He argues with him about baptizing. No, man, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus says, bro, just do what you got to do. Come on, man, dunk a brother. Just dunk me. And then, and then this, and then he sees, the Bible says he sees the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. And then he hears the voice of heaven. This is my son whom I dearly love. We're all sitting here thinking, how could John doubt? Very easily, just like we do. Because you see, God can do big things in your life, and you can still find yourself with doubt. <laughs> you can't just live on the big things alone. If you're living from one big thing to the next, you're going to live a whole life of disappointment in between. We live according to truth, not one big movement to the next. Come on, truth is my sustainer. Truth is what keeps me going. Truth reminds me of who I am. Truth reminds me of who the devil is. Truth is what keeps me going in the right direction. But when you go from one laudable voice to the next audible voice, there's a whole lot of disappointment in between. I know plenty of church folks, they, they, they run to every little revival, every little move of the spirit. They're like some little, I'm going to be nice. They, they just, they run, they run a lot. They're runners. And that's, that's great. Listen to me. I love to be around a good smooth, a good move of God. Okay. I've, I've been in those church services where people fall out. I've fallen out myself. Tim Burr. 
Like nobody caught me. Broken concrete and everything. You know what I'm saying? I like that stuff. It's good. It's, man, it's exhilarating. It's a good refresher. It's a good builder, you know, to laugh your, your guts out in the Holy Spirit. That's all great. But I don't live according to that. I don't live by that. I, I enjoy that, but I don't live by it. John couldn't live off of baptizing Jesus and seeing the Holy Spirit descend and hearing the audible voice of God. It's proven because he got himself into a prison called doubt. And now he doesn't even believe that Jesus is the Messiah. How could he not know his life mission was about Jesus? How could he forget? When disappointment leads to doubt, we find ourselves in a real dilemma. John is in a dilemma. You see the dilemma? He's in prison. He's in a dilemma. Is Jesus the Messiah? So how do we deal with doubt? Let me give you four ways real quick. You might want to write these down. Number one, broaden your expectations. Open your mind and get a greater perspective. It is vital. I'm going to wear you out with this. this. This will be my theme. You will stand in my funeral one day and say, that brother always, I, I knew every time he grabbed his Bible, he was going to preach to us about reading our Bibles. You will say that at my funeral. And I will smile. Because when I read this, I read stories like Joshua commanding the sun to stand still and God stopping the, stun, the sun in its pattern. When I read this, I read stories like when, when the Holy Spirit prevented Paul to go into a certain region. I go, man, you mean God can do that? Yeah, God can do that. When I read this, I read where Lazarus was dead for four days and Jesus walks up to the tomb and says, hey, bruh, come out. And he comes walking out. God can do that? Yeah, God can do that. I want to broaden my expectations. I want to broaden my perspective. Come on, somebody. You can't have a broad perspective if you don't ever read your Bible. Amen, pastor. Amen. Amen, my shadow. I saw him. It's my boy. Broaden your expectations. Number two, get around others who have healthy expectations. Healthy expectations. Everybody got expectations. Not all of them are healthy. If you're struggling with doubt, don't go to your doubting friends. They ain't going to help you. Every one of us needs people that when we're feeling sorry for ourselves and we're doubting and we can go to them and say, man, I'm just struggling right now. They can say, hey, listen, I get that. But come on, keep your chin up. You know God. You know God. You remember when he showed up last time in your life? You remember when he did this for me and Susie? You remember how he did this and how he showed up? You remember that? That's the kind of friends you need. But I don't know. I don't know how God's going to fix this. Listen, God fixed everything. He can fix it. That's the people I need to be around. With healthy expectations. <laughs> I told the first service, I said, if you're depressed, don't go to the bar. And don't go to a country bar. Because <laughs> the song's going to tell you you're going to lose your dog, you're going to lose your house, they're going to repossess your truck. If you play it backwards, you get everything back. Don't go to the bar. They have no expectations. I don't know who that was for. 
<laughs> Get around others who have healthy expectations. Number three, ask God to help you with your doubt. <laughs> this is what's funny about that one. It's easy to say, man, yeah, ask God to help me with my doubt. That's like your son coming to you say, hey, dad, would you help me? I've been cheating in school. It's like a confession and a request at the same time. It's like you're telling God you've been doubting him. Oh, and would you help me with it? You see what I'm saying? It's kind of tricky. Lord, help me. Help me with my doubt. You remember the story in Mark 9 where Jesus is coming down from the mountain experience and his disciples are down there trying to cast a demon out of a little boy and they can't? <laughs> Jesus comes down and goes, how long I got to put up with you boys? And then the daddy comes up and the, guy, the dad goes, can you, can you heal my son? And Jesus goes, what do you mean, can I? Anything is possible for him who believes. Most profound statement comes next. The father says these words, I believe, but help me with my doubt. Wow. That means you can believe and doubt at the same time. Wow. He brought his son to Jesus' disciples looking for Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there. So he believed Jesus could do it, but he still had doubt. Lord, help me with my doubt. Jesus said, you got it, buddy. Shazam, the devil comes out. The boy goes into a convulsion. Jesus stops everything. You believe now? A lot more than I ever did. Right? What if you ask God to help you with your doubt? Or maybe you don't think you have doubt. Because you see, we don't confess what we don't think we have. If you don't think you're prideful, you're not confessing that you're prideful. I'm going to stop. Number one, broaden your expectations. Number two, get around others who have healthy expectations. Number three, ask God to help you with your doubt. Number four, consistently thank God for all that he's done in your life. This is so important. So important. Philippians 4, 6 needs to be tattooed on your forehead. Seriously, because it says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, tell God what you need. Watch this. And then thank him for what he's done. Is God insecure? No. Does he need you to thank him? No. He wants you to thank him because then when you thank him, you're going to remember what he did for you. We forget. I got a journal that I write in. I write my quiet times down in. Most mornings I get in, I put a date, I put a scripture, I put some whatever God's speaking to me, a revelation I get from the Bible. I, I write down some things that God's done for me. It's not because I'm a great student. I'm a horrible student. I'm just a great forgetter. Right? And if I don't write it down, I don't remember. I got to put dates on the side of the miracles. Why? Because I forget. I can't even remember how old I am. 
I looked at my wife this morning. I said, 44, 45. She said, poor. It's okay. She's my helpmate. Consistently thank God for all he's done because you need to remember what he's done. You see, the problem with John in the prison, he's forgotten all that he's went through with Jesus. He's forgotten the moments that he's had with Jesus. He's forgot the experiences that he had with Jesus. Ephesians 3, verse 20 to 21 says this from the message translation. It says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently working within us. What if God didn't meet your expectations because he wanted to exceed them? I wonder how often we settle for a lesser thing than what God has for us. Because our expectations are too small. You know what I've known and learned over 44 years? Is that every time I feel sorry for myself, God goes, bro, you way better than that. You so much better than that. Every time I feel bad for me, every time I get depressed, every time I get down, he goes, come on, champ, you better than that. He sees me better than I see me. What if he wanted to do something more? You ever try to bless somebody and they only let you bless them so much? My wife got in trouble as a kid. She was at the store and the chip man was there and she was walking out with her daddy. And my wife, she's cute now, but she was a really cute little girl. She was really dark complected, dark black hair and skinny and she's just cute. She's walking out the store with her daddy and the chip man goes to hand her a bag of chips. He says, hey, sweetheart, you want a bag of chips? And she goes to take and her daddy slaps her hand and says, you don't take that. We don't take that. I went, wow, what a tragedy. I wonder how often we do that. God wants to be good to us. God wants to bless us. He wants to give us more than what we're even asking for. No, that's good. That's good. I want to wrap this up by showing, by showing you Jesus's perspective of John. So Jesus has this moment too. This isn't just John's moment. This is Jesus's moment. Jesus is preaching to a crowd and John's disciples come up and they, and they say to Jesus, John, John's wondering if you're the Messiah or should we keep looking for somebody else? <laughs> Think about what that says to Jesus. <laughs> you mean you don't know? It's not clear. Watch how Jesus responds. Verse 7 to 15 of Matthew 11. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. 
John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. He says this, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived. None is greater than John the Baptist. None is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent slash eager people are attacking it. But for before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. The one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Was Jesus mad at John? Did he tell everybody, you see that sorry sucker, John? Doubting me? Oh my gosh. I can't believe John's doubting. No. Because you see, the reason I brought that point up was because it is. Because you'll hear a message like this, and you think, great, I need to deal with my doubt. Super. But then the enemy will twist that on you and start telling you that God's mad at you because you're doubting. Do you honestly think he didn't think we would doubt? You remember doubting Thomas? He got to poke his hand, his finger in Jesus' wounds. I wonder if he doubted just so he could do that. (laughs) God's not mad at you for doubting. He's not mad at you. He knew there would be times where you would doubt him. Because he knew there would be times of disappointment and many times like that. He also knows that disappointment leads to doubt if it's undealt with. And he sent this big bald-headed brother right here to tell you today, deal with your doubt. Deal with your disappointments. God's not mad at you. He's for you and not against you. And God still does more than you can ever think or imagine. He's bigger than you know. Amen.